If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8, please. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Let us pray before we begin. Father, we're grateful and we're thankful that we have your word. We have this morning to sing your praises, to delight ourselves in your goodness, and to come before your word. And we ask that you would have mercy on us. That you would allow us to see and perceive and understand and be made more like Jesus. Work in our hearts and in our minds and have your way with us and do great things among us. For Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others provided for them out of their means. Now, if you're at all like me at first reading, you're, you look at that and you go, wonder, okay, this ought to be interesting. What, this seems like a passing comment almost. Like When I was actually dealing with the text this week, I, I wasn't even sure what it was all about. Like, like, where's the preachable point here? But then I began to realize that Luke does this quite often. What he does is he... He gives these little interludes of Jesus moving. Jesus moves. Jesus goes on to a new place. And it says where he's going, what he's doing, and sometimes who is with him. And it's a constant reflection and refrain throughout where it tells us and lets us know the priorities and the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry. This is what Jesus was all about constantly everywhere he went. And it's it's somewhat of a summary for us. allows us to understand the priorities of his ministry, the focus of his ministry. And so here we have, this is what we have. We have Jesus going. We have him proclaiming and bringing and doing something, and we have people with him. Pretty sim- simple uh, account. But I think when we look at it, we will see that when Jesus, when we see the priorities of Jesus' ministry, we also see what ought to be the priority of our ministry, what ought to be the priority of the ministry of Redeemer Church. Because Jesus is our Lord, and we follow Jesus our Lord, and our ministry ought to reflect his ministry. And what we're going to see here is we're going to see that he had definite priorities that he was committed to throughout his life. But the first thing I want us to realize and notice here is that Jesus' ministry was led by the Father. This was the first and most important priority that I think we have to understand. The text just says this, that simply soon afterward, soon after what he has just finished doing what he had done... Uh, in, in regard to his time with the, the, in the house of the Pharisee where the woman uh, who was that prostitute we looked at last week who he, he had forgiven, soon after that, uh, he went through cities and villages. Well, he just goes somewhere. And yet he goes proclaiming and bringing the, the, the message of the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom. But the text, it doesn't say what, um, what I'm telling you is the focus here, but it's implied Because we see this in other places. Jesus was led by the Father. And how do we know that? How is that the case? How do we know that where Jesus is going and where he moves on to and where he goes next and what he's doing is all led by the Father? Well, because Jesus said in John chapter 4, verse 34, My food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, my father's work. And then in John 5, 19, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then a little later in John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I do not seek my own will. Did you hear that? I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is what Jesus, Jesus is seeking the Father's will and seeking to perform the Father's will. And then a little later in John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus declares, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So it should be clear, right? It should be very clear from these passages that Jesus' ministry wasn't about him. It was about the Father. And the Father's will. Jesus' ministry wasn't about his strategies, plans, and vision. It was about following and submitting to the plan and the vision of his Father. Yet when we read slowly and we read closely, we see a king. We see a king as we understand Jesus and his position under the Father. Jesus is the king. But we see a king who is the most humble and submissive man alive. We find a king who leads by following. Leads by following. This is unheard of in the kingdoms of men. Isn't it? Unheard of. Kings lead through their kingly reign and rule, from their power, from their own wisdom, from their own wills. They are self-made, in a sense, men who, who rise up and what they do is they dictate and determine all that happens in their kingdom. And a lot of them are very proud because of the power they have. But Jesus' kingdom is unlike the kingdoms of men. He leads by following, by being submissive to his father. This is probably why we find Jesus constantly slipping away to pray, to seek his Father. Because here Jesus is seeking to do the will of his Father. He says, this is my my ultimate priority. Even in the garden, you remember in the garden? Jesus is about to go to the cross, and Jesus is overwhelmed with the burden that he has to carry. It's just, it's profound to take upon himself the sins of the world and become sin for us. That thought of approaching that, almost killed Jesus in and of itself. And Jesus pleads with the Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me, because it's, gonna, it's killing me. And then he, what does he say? It's significant. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. So in the worst possible circumstances, Jesus is submitting to his Father's will, despite the fact that it's about to kill him. Jesus submits. The most amazing, the most glorious son and king you could ever imagine. 
Yet this way of leadership, this way of leading by following is not too predominant today, even in the church. Because when you look at the ministry leaders and those who write their books, you constantly hear about talk about developing your vision, mission, strategies, plans. And because, and the reason for this is because making disciples is a biblical mandate. The Bible tells us to go and make disciples. So we think that whatever vision, mission, and strategy we come up with, it must be as good as well because it's following Jesus' will. However, this isn't even how the apostles approach their ministry. They're the ones who are directly given the mandate. They were commissioned, right? The apostles were commissioned to go. And so how do they function in their ministry? Well, the, even after the commission, Jesus tells them, I want you to go and I want you to wait. Wait in the upper room and you'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And then even after that, now the Spirit comes upon them. What do we see? We see in their ministry that they are actually being led by the Spirit. Jesus is, is leading the ministry. They are acting like Jesus did in his ministry. Jesus submitted to and followed the Father. The, the apostles submit to and follow Jesus. Because if we go forward in the book of Acts, Jesus is leading them by the Spirit. In Acts 16, 6 through 10, this is what it says. And they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go into Macedonia, according, concluding sorry, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what do we see here? What do we note? The spirit of Jesus was leading them in their ministry. He, they were following. They were being submissive. Jesus was the king. He was the Lord. He was the one directing and guiding. And this is the way ministry should be. Who is to, to lead? Jesus. Always. We can even think of, think of the Old Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you have kings. And the great kings, what great kings did was seek the Lord. Israel always acted presumptively, presumptively when she would go out to war without seeking the Lord first. The bad kings were always noted for being those who did not seek the Lord. And God was always angry with them because they would go and act. They think they went and acted in his name, but they never sought him. They never sought his direction at all. And as a result, God was not pleased. Because even though there were kings, who was the true king? Who was the king of Israel? God was. And God was to lead and they were to follow. This is why all ministry, if it is to be in the name of Jesus, is to be ministry that is submitted to and following Jesus. This means that we shouldn't sit down in a room. I shouldn't get out my whiteboard. We shouldn't come up with ideas and plans and then ask God to bless it. What ends up happening in so often the case is that here are my, here are my dreams, here are my plans, here's my strategies, and say, hey, God, oh, by the way, would you bless that? 
And we think that it's okay that way simply because, we, we're, hey, we're, this is for him and his kingdom. But in a lot of ways, because of our flesh, it ends up being for us and for our kingdom. It's much harder to seek the Lord and wait on the Lord and let, allow the Lord to lead us and allow him to go before us. But instead, we're, we're encouraged so often to charge forward. Just go. And then as you go, just make sure you're just throwing up the, you know, those prayers. Lord, be with us. Lord, help us. Lord, bless us. And here we go. But we need to, we need to lead by following. We need to lead through submission. Just as Jesus, he goes from town and villages, he went from cities and villages, and wherever he went, he was going according to the will of his Father. Now, don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean that uh, you live your day-to-day lives having to wonder what the will of the Father is and what you're to do moment by moment. So, uh, in an individual's lives, we have an individual calling. The Lord has called us individually. And what he's called every one of us individually to is to love your neighbor. So if you look to your left, and if you look to your right, and if you look to the front of you, and you look to the back of you, you look around, you, will, you, you, you can know a certainty. You don't have to say, Lord, what is your will? His will for us individually is to love the person in front of you. Love them. So what's his will for you individually? Look around. Love. Love those people. Do you, you're looking around? Love them. That's who you're called to, personally, individually. All of us, the Lord has called us to love, right? Now, that's different than a ministry objection, uh, uh, objective. Sorry, A, a ministry uh, plan, a ministry idea, uh, as a church, a whole church going and doing things. So ministry plans, ministry vision, ministry ideas on a larger scale, the Lord leads us in this direction. When it comes to... Uh, vocational ministry, when it comes to even your vocational calling. These are different things. These require now you to seek the Lord, wait on the Lord, look to the Lord, get praying, and allow God to lead you in them. It's different. So individually, you are called just to love. That's, don't think, well, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Uh, someone's in need, well, let me pray about that. I'm not sure I'm supposed to help. Or, you know, we know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love the people around us. And so, as a church, though, how should this church be led? It needs to be led by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is King and Lord of all. And so, should we just throw up ideas and do whatever we want? No, we need to seek the Lord. We need to, and and here's, the, here's the great thing about seeking the Lord, especially collectively, is that when the Spirit works in our hearts, He unites our hearts and guides and directs us as a body. So often when people, we ask people to pray, it's amazing if we all get praying, we all get seeking that the Lord, by the Spirit, unifies our hearts and our minds around what it is He's calling us to do. And this is what ministry looks like that's being led by Jesus, following Jesus. Where are you at work, O oh Lord Jesus? Show us, and we'll follow. So this is, this, is a, this is a significant point of Jesus' ministry. Was he, was a, he was the king seeking to submit to and do the will of his father. That's how he led. 
a major priority of his ministry. The second priority we notice here is that Jesus' ministry was all about the gospel. Now, it says soon afterwards he went through cities and villages doing what? Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't say here specifically the gospel, but it does. Because good news is gospel. Gospel means good news. And good news about what? Well, it's about the kingdom of God. So shorthand, when we use the word gospel, we're saying it's the good news about the kingdom of God or the, or the good news about the king, the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's multiple ways of saying it. So when we say a gospel priority, Jesus' priority was the gospel, the good news. And what's so good about this good news? What's so good about the good news of the kingdom of God? Well, it's a kingdom that brings freedom, brings deliverance, brings forgiveness, brings power, brings life, brings blessing upon blessing. And it's a kingdom bringing this as a free offer to all, a free offer to all who will turn in faith to Jesus, believing that he will do what he has promised. You know the amazing thing about the kingdom? This is amazing. Really, if you think about the nature of the kingdom, it is that it is an offer from the king where the king has done everything for you. He's done it all. There isn't anything left to be done except this believe. You believe. And upon believing and upon trusting and upon looking to Jesus, Jesus does his work in us. This is why, do you, do you realize, this is why proclaiming the good news of the kingdom is so fundamental to all ministry. Proclamation, preaching, declaration, what are we saying to people? We are declaring to them the finished work of Jesus. The king has come. And he's done everything for you. He's come to free you. He's come to set the captives free. He's come to bring life out of death. He's come to deliver. He's come to rescue. He's come to resurrect. He's come to set the captives free. It's a declaration. It's a done work. We are not calling out to people to do things. We're calling out to them what has been done for them. This is why till the end of the age... Preaching and proclamation will be fundamental, always. It's a finished work. It is done. And simply the king cries out and says, all who are willing, come. That's what we tell people. There's life offered, eternal life. There's freedom, there's deliverance. There's salvation in every sense offered. Well, what do I do? Come. In faith you come. So the power of this kingdom is realized upon the moment of believing. There is nothing left to do but believe. And this is why we are proclaimers of the gospel. Because Jesus has done everything. You know what this means? This means that we don't go around. It's not like the first phase. There's phase one of the ministry. The first phase is to get people, quote unquote, saved. Poof. In. And then after that, we just load their lives up with 12 steps, how-tos, 
give them therapy and just try to get them through the last phase. No, it's, it's, it's way beyond that. <laughs> it's all of life. Jesus, the king, from beginning to end, he has done it all. Because so what we need continually, what we need always, is to hear the proclamation of the finished work of Jesus. You need that today. Because what happens throughout the week is that we we have a tendency to drift away from Jesus and to go after other things and cling to idols and make these other things and look to these other things to give us what only Jesus can. And we come here with these as, as half-hearted creatures. And you know what happens when we're half-hearted? Do you know what we kind of go to Jesus with an idol in one hand and an open in this hand? It's, we don't experience Jesus. We don't know the blessings of the kingdom. The good news of the kingdom doesn't come to us. The freedom, the deliverance, the power, the goodness. And then you know what happens? Do you know what we say? We say Jesus is the problem. We say, you know, you need to turn to Jesus. Well, I did turn to Jesus. Well, I can guarantee you the problem is never with Jesus, ever. The problem is always with us. We are half-hearted creatures. And it, how hard is it to, to lay down everything, to give Jesus everything, to turn from everything and to give Him your all, to give Him everything in you, wholeheartedly? That's really hard. Why? Well, I love my precious And we wonder why we don't experience his grace, his power, his, his working in our lives. Because it's, he's, he's done it all. He saves you from the wrath of God. He saves you from the power of sin. But you know what else? He does more than just that. He doesn't just save so you, get a, you go to heaven. He delivers you today. He, 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 your power is from him. Jesus gives power. Jesus gives freedom. Jesus gives life. Jesus gives fullness. Jesus gives you everything you need for life and godliness. It is finished. It is done. And that is the proclamation. And we need to hear that constantly because our hearts are idol factories. We turn from Him constantly. We go after the things of the world. Aren't we tempted? Aren't we tempted to go after our flesh, to go after other things, to start pursuing and start wandering away? And we find ourselves wandering away, and here we find ourselves, we could have all kinds of idols, and we're here this morning because we know we have a commitment to Jesus, and we find ourselves the power of Jesus lacking in our lives. The problem is not Jesus, ever. The problem is right here, with us. And so what we need to hear is the proclamation that Jesus is sufficient. He's done it all for you. He's everything you need. The problem is us. And what we need to do is repent of our idols and go to him wholeheartedly. Oh, I've tried that. Really? Honestly. I doubt it. I have not met one person who's ever went to Jesus wholeheartedly and not came away transformed. He truly is my life, my strength, my hope, my everything. And the problem is, we doubt, we get caught up, we wander, and Jesus is caught. We, and that's why every, we, don't, you need to hear it, right? 
And what we need more than anything fundamentally is we need to hear the centerpiece of ministry is the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom of Jesus Christ where he, the king, has done everything for you from beginning to end. And all you need to do is turn to him with your whole heart and know his power, know his love, know his grace. And that's why may God help us. May the priority of our ministry, O Lord have mercy, always be the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Always declaring, always letting God's people know, you know always that Jesus from beginning to end has done it all. And you need to constantly and forever, because this week you started drifting from Jesus, you need to be called back to him wholeheartedly. Giving him everything, submitting and surrendering everything, and then in him receive everything you need. Now may that be the center and the priority of our ministry as we go forward, day after day, year after year, month after month, throughout the years. May it be a proclamation of the finished work of Jesus and a call continually for us to cling to him. Because you know what, do you know what maturity is? Maturity is like learning to cling more wholeheartedly, constantly, always. Do you notice when you first believe, you have troubles? You cling, and then you cling back. And then you realize how stupid that is, and it might take a while, and we come to our senses, and we repent and turn to Jesus and cling, and say, why did I ever leave? I'm such an idiot. But, then we, it's, but it's, it's learning to cling to the... With, to him for everything, to look to him for everything. You trust yourself less and less and less as the years go on, hopefully. You hate yourself more and more and more. You hate your flesh. You hate your tendencies. You know who you are, and God gives you eyes to see, and you need to be clinging to Jesus more wholeheartedly. May God grant us grace to help us to see that Jesus is all we need. And be forever the centerpiece of our ministry. Another priority I want us to see here is that Jesus was committed to leadership development. Because it, it often will say this. Look at what it says at the end of verse 1. And the twelve were with him. And the twelve were with him. Moving on. Well, this is, this is important because these twelve were specifically chosen. Everywhere Jesus went, the 12 went with him, especially at this particular point in his ministry. Things will change later on as we will see, but at this particular point, they went with him everywhere. At this particular point, they also, they weren't, this, weren't given authority. They weren't empowered. They weren't sent to do anything except watch, learn, and help out as they could. And listen and ask questions and inquire of Jesus. And Jesus was constantly, he would teach the crowds and the disciples would gather to him afterwards and say, oh, what did you mean? What were you talking about? And Jesus would explain to them, this is what I mean when I said these things. And so he was intensively discipling these 12, working with them. This was class time, note-taking time, inquiry time about everything they could to learn about Jesus and who he is about and what, this is, what the kingdom of God is all about. 
And you know what? Jesus selected these men, and he did this because he knew the day he was coming when he would be gone. He would be leaving them. And then the advancement of God's kingdom over all the earth and to the ends of the earth would be in their hands. And what Jesus was doing is this is where Jesus was preparing them to multiply the ministry. They were to listen carefully to what he taught, ask him questions about what he was saying, and learn deeply about what it is the nature of the kingdom. Because Jesus knew that the multiplication and the extension of his kingdom would only happen as these men were prepared to go and do likewise. And that they too would then go and do likewise, train up men and leaders to extend and expand the kingdom. It's kind of like a piece of fruit. If you want to multiply a piece of fruit, what do you do? Well, if that fruit dies within it are seeds, you mul- to multiply it has to die, go into the earth, and it, it, it's like sends forth its seed. And next thing you know, one piece of fruit can multiply. And we see in all of creation this multiplication method. From the one comes many others. And as long as you put your life and your energy into others more than yourself, you can multiply what it is you're doing. And then his leaders would turn and do likewise. And this is why any gospel ministry that desires to extend its impact beyond the immediate location must be committed to leadership development. And when it comes to leadership development, you know the most important thing? Hear me on this. The most important thing is not finding people, finding these men who you know, have it all together, don't have any problems, or looks like they, they, on the outside they wash everything nice and clean. They're not those, let's find men who have the most Bible knowledge or anything like that. Do you know something significant about the type of person Jesus selected? They, they, constantly people saying they're unlearned men, they're untaught, they're like lowly, low class, they're, they're weak, they're shameful, there's these people down. If Jesus, you know, if I was doing some selecting, I wouldn't have selected those dudes. Look at them. Look at all this cream of the crop over here. But you know, the one thing that mattered is these guys loved Jesus and were willing to give up everything to follow him. And that's the most important thing. Jesus didn't care that they were fishermen, untaught men, weak. And they had issues. All through the gospel, we see these guys with issues. You know, so the, one we, the loud one we see all the time is Peter, always being an idiot, super unrefined. But Jesus, he chose men. He didn't select them because they were cream of the crop. No, for one quality only. They loved him. They were passionate about him. And they, they literally, they gave up everything to follow him. That's the most important thing. Today, if we're selecting, if we're looking for those who would be leaders, we typically, we look for mental prowess. Those who can really uh, have Massive Bible knowledge, and at least on the outside, they seem to have everything together. They like to wash and polish and make sure everything looks good on the outside. Everything good on the outside, tons of Bible knowledge, you know, no issues or problems. Bammo, here's our guy, right here. Problem is, so many churches are filled with leaders who don't passionately love Jesus and will give up anything and everything to follow him. Servants who are just constantly like their Lord, seeking to serve and to give and to bless. 
It's the church and, and, and leadership won't turn around. We won't develop the right kind of leaders unless we start with the right kind of men. Men who are like super committed to following Christ and passionate about him, love him desperately. It's amazing how many seminaries are filled with big fat heads and small hearts. And if they don't come to seminary like that, they make sure they leave like that. You could have three, give me three guys. Three guys who passionately love Jesus and will give up anything and everything to follow him, and they'll turn the world upside down. You could have 10,000 fatheads with small hearts just groaning and droning on and on, and you won't do a, it won't have a, make a lick of difference. Jesus is pleased, is pleased to work through weakness, is pleased to work through to smallness, is pleased to work through like the, the, the little guy. If that little guy is sold out, if he loves the Lord and will do anything for him, out of passion in his heart, look out. The Lord will work through that person. So fundamentally... Do you know, we need to be committed to leadership development, but we need to be committed to developing the kinds of people who God is pleased to use and multiply the kingdom. You know, the last thing I want to say here is um, we see a principle that I think is, is important, is that Jesus' ministry had women highly involved. This is significant, actually. It's just, uh, if you look at verse 2, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chezza, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. So who, who, was, who went along with them? Well, this band, a group of women. And they were, these, these are women, most of them, that Jesus had radically delivered. He had... He had set them free, and it was just amazing. If you look at, uh, you know, Mary Magdalene mentions her because she's pretty predominant throughout the Gospels, from whom seven demons had been cast out. Now, she must have been pretty messed up. She said seven demons, her life was a, a who knows, we don't know the details, but it, was, it would have been nasty, right? And the person who's been forgiven much, what do we just learn? Loves much. She's everywhere in the, in the Gospels. She doesn't get very far from Jesus. She's following and she's giving her life because she is so committed to this one who's loved her this way and gave himself to this way. She, her, she's overflowing in thankfulness. And in regard to their ministry, it says at the end of verse 3 that they provided for them out of their means. Now this means that they were people of means. Mula, mucha. Lots of it. You know, they had stuff. They, had, they were providing for them out of this. And, and at, in fact, this, look at this Joanna. They have Joanna here as the wife of Chuzza, Herod's household manager. There's an uppity up. There's a, someone who's up there, way up there. Herod's household manager probably made a, a lot of money. So these, these women were coming along, and their ministry was in, in supporting and helping. You can guarantee that they were providing for their means, they, they were supporting, helping, and, and giving, you know, abundantly and making sure that, you know, this just isn't a, a road trip like a guy's road trip. This is a road trip with some glory to it. This has got some goodness to it. This has got some beauty to it. You can guarantee that they're, just, they're providing out of their means. And, and when you get the women there, things get beautiful. Things get delightful. Things get so much better. I mean, 
a guy's world is here, a woman's world is here in terms of glory and beauty and making things, just transforming things. And so this is also significant because in Jesus' time and day and age, it probably would have not been so cool to have, a, to have women following in the group and being there as well. Because they were often, you know, they put the women away because, you know, they just need to stay home and, and take care of business. But we don't need to see them or hear them. But Jesus is, they're part of this ministry. And they're faithfully part of this ministry. And you can guarantee that with the natural gifts that the women often bring, that they would have been incredibly acute at managing the details of this trip and helping out in phenomenal ways and making sure the journey was as comfortable as possible and provided for. It was pleasant and beautiful. And you know what? This is of such a, a major significant role that it gets, it gets mentioned here. It gets brought up. Because they were significant contributors to the ministry that Jesus had. And he wanted it mentioned. But you know, and, and they had a beautiful role here and a glorious role, especially if you give it in light of the context. But you know, it's, it's, in our particular age, we're so far removed from this, this age that we have, we're on a whole different spectrum in regards to women and ministry and roles and all that stuff. There's been, today in our perverted world, it's all about leadership. And when I use that word, let me rephrase it. It's all about being in charge. That's what, it, that's, that's what matters. Because unless a woman is allowed to lead like a man, they are somehow being oppressed in our age. But nothing could be further from the truth. And nothing could so ruin women and their glory in their ministry than this. Because when we look at Jesus, we see that he wasn't a leader like so many of the leaders today. When he talks about leadership, don't get in your mind what leaders are, are like in the world. He's not like that at all. Jesus took on the major servant role. And look at as we've already noted already, Jesus was a submissive leader. Let your, wrap your head around that. He did not go and, I'm in charge, I'm the king, now everybody kiss my feet and do what I want. Nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus was a submissive king and leader under his father, and it was, that's what he did. He submitted to his father everywhere he went. And he says, I didn't come to you to be served, but to serve. The servants get down and wash feet. And who was the one who got down and washed their feet? Jesus. Who was the one who gave himself even unto death for them? Jesus. The kingdom of God is unlike the kingdom of man. So unlike. Jesus glorifies the servant roles. And his kingdom is all about this glorious service. It isn't those in charge who are somehow important in Jesus' kingdom. It's those who serve. Now, if you think of the kingdom of God as like the world, you know what you'll be doing? You'll be clutching and grabbing. You will see, you'll think that uh, you are lesser if you're not in charge. But to think, about, to think that way about the kingdom of God is to pervert the kingdom and to think about it in the exact opposite way that it actually is. It's not like the kingdom of man. Because the way it should work is that the chief servants are placed in authority. They should be the, there because they've been proven to be the most submissive to their Lord 
and the most given to serve everyone else. That's how we should choose them. Strength, power, ability, and aggression to get people to do what they want, that's how the world thinks of leadership. And this is one of the reasons they cannot enter the kingdom of God, because they're perverted, they're twisted, they're going after it like you would go after the kingdom of man, and it's upside down, it's opposite, it's not like that. And so even though they might get in and they clutch and grab and grab and take hold of, God sees, God knows, and it is the kingdom that will be refined in the end, it'll be exposed. That all those who went after power that way, you perverted the kingdom. You've not known your Lord nor his ways. Jesus has not got a hold of you and changed your heart. You're still a a hungry mongrel after power. So we have to realize, especially so women, never think that because you sit, you don't sit, sorry, you don't sit in seats of power, that you don't have any. Because in fact, in God's economy, as you serve, as you give, and as you bless as anyone else, you end up with more power and influence than if you did have the seat of power. That's the way God's economy works. However, in our day, because of the rebellion against God is on the increase, you see women going headlong in their lust for seats of power. It never is so in God's kingdom because those seats belong to those who serve and give their lives. And those who lust for power might think they are in God's kingdom, but in the end they will only find out that it was only the kingdom of man they were operating in, not the kingdom of God. So what should be the priority of our ministry? Well, one thing, women, you should be highly involved. Just like everybody else should be highly involved. And one of the predominant features of the kingdom of God is in serving, giving, and blessing. That's what we should all be doing, every one of us. As I said earlier at the beginning, who has God called you to love? Look to your left, look to your right, look behind you, look in front of you people in front of you. This is what he's calling is to you. My children, love. Love those people. Because we as followers of Jesus, we need to be a church that is led by Jesus and does nothing outside of his will. We need to fight and maintain our whole lives as the centerpiece of our ministry, this proclamation of the gospel of peace, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus. King Jesus reigns, and he's done everything for you from beginning to end. It needs to be the centerpiece of our ministry. We need to fight and maintain that for the rest of our lives. We need to make sure that we're constantly, if we want ministry to extend, we're developing leaders. And the kinds of leaders we're developing are those who love Jesus and are willing to give up everything to follow and serve him. And we need to make sure that we're always making room to involve you women. The women have a vital part of ministry, amazing gifts that should be used. And if we keep these as our priorities, we'll be a church that is following our Lord and is a blessing to the kingdom of God and truly a light, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Amen.
Father, we're thankful and we're grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord, the King of all, the King of all, heaven and earth, who's done everything for us. We praise you that we have been given grace, and we can see here the priorities of Jesus' ministry. May they be our priorities at Redeemer Church. Father, have mercy on us, and may we constantly be focused on following and submitting to Jesus, proclaiming the gospel of his kingdom, developing leaders, and always actively involving the women. For we ask this in Christ. Amen.